Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things that you can buy that will actually help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This reason is why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current course setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, and along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times are to hunt. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery. All at my fingertips. I've had an opportunity to use the desktop version last year and have been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 269. Today, I'm chatting with Jeremy Moore of Dog Bone Hunter, so stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I woke up this morning to yet another fresh blanket of snow on the ground. Um, was really hoping the last snowfall that we had was going to be the only one for the year and that it would not put a delay on my scouting efforts, especially on that piece that I had been checking out all last year was hoping. And it really kind of delayed me last year because we had so much snow on the ground. Uh, we had a nice warm week last week, which got rid of everything and was really hoping that it would, it would stay that way. But, um, looks like mother nature had different plans. That said, 
This past weekend, though, we did have some really nice warm temperatures, and there was no snow on the ground locally to me, so I was able to get out and do a little bit of little scouting, little shed hunting. Um, I will say that there were there were no sheds harmed in this shed hunt uh, for, for this trip, which is pretty common for me. Took the pooch out and uh, had him running around, had a good time, which is always kind of cool. It was just nice to get out and stretch the legs because uh, it's been pretty pretty cold here lately and haven't really had a chance to get out and enjoy the outdoors. And then of course I had the, the Rona for a little while. So it was just nice to kind of get out and feel, um, feel normal again. Um, but with that, we're going to just kind of jump to things today. Um, you know, the shed hunting kind of comment and, and having Rocky, my dog out is a little foreshadowing, uh, as this week I have on, uh, Jeremy Moore from dog bone hunter. If you guys don't know, Jeremy, um, he owns dog bone hunter. He's been training dogs professionally, um, since I think 2003, um, he trains dogs for everything from shed hunting to bird hunting to regular obedience tracking, like you name it. And he pretty much, um, he pretty much does it. He contributes a ton of writing and things of that nature to a bunch of different magazines, you know, around his expertise in terms of, in terms of dog training. And I want to have Jeremy on for a couple of reasons. One, it's shed season. So it's always kind of good to kind of talk about that, um, you know, about finding sheds and what, and what they mean. But more importantly, you know, I've been kind of working with my dog Rocky for the past, I won't say a year solid, but I started to really kind of late last spring as, as my scouting was kind of over. Um, I take Rocky out a lot with me just to kind of, uh, scout in general. He's enjoy he enjoys being out. I enjoy having a, bu- a buddy out with me, especially on those solo trips and stuff like that. It just kind of makes it, makes it more fun. Um, and so I thought, you know, he's a, he's a black lab. He's four. I rescued him three years ago. Um, I've have worked with trainers in the past and I know enough to be dangerous. Like I can usually get my dogs to do what I want them to do in terms of obedience and be steady and things of that nature. And it took me a little while to get this guy kind of in a place where he was really, really comfortable. Uh, it took me, you know, a year plus to kind of make that happen. And so now I started kind of including him in all my kind of outdoor activities. And I was like, man, it'd be really cool if I could get him to a point to where he could find sheds, you know, maybe he'll help me find sheds. Cause I suck at it. Um, maybe between the two of us, we find one or two a year. That would be great. And that would be a huge accomplishment for, uh, for, for he and I. Um, so I started working with him a little bit last year. I got some tips from my buddy, Tony Peterson. Cause as you guys probably know, he's great with dogs as well. And just in some offline conversations, he was like, you know, Jeremy's really fantastic at this stuff. You should probably talk to him about it. Um, so I ended up buying Jeremy's, uh, online download from dogbonehunter.com, And he kind of goes through a stepwise process of how to kind of get your dog to, to work in terms of, uh, finding sheds, retrieving, doing, you know, memory trails and things like that. And I'm really only up to the memory trail trail part of it. Um, and it's all based on the premise that you have a steady dog and an obedient dog to kind of, kind of begin with. Um, and so I've been working with Rocky on that. And yesterday was the first time I've got him out in the woods to really kind of to work with him in that, in that capacity. And just from last year to this year and how he kind of acts in the woods, whenever I, you know, when we're in an area that's kind of thick, or it might be like a bedding type of area. And, and and there's a possibility of some sheds being around and I kind of give him like the shed cue, if you will, the way he kind of acts and, and covers ground is markedly different than it was, uh, than it was a year ago. Uh, it seems like he's working with a little bit more purpose and he's by no means fine tuned or, um, you know, kind of a completed project, if you will. And, and he, and he may never be the best shed dog in the world and that's, and that's okay. Um, it just makes it a little bit more fun for us being out there. But what I did do is in an area that was really kind of brushy and stuff like that, I was able to, you know, I took a, a shed along that I had 
And I figured, you know, at the end of the day, while we're out, you know, if it's in an area that is conducive, you know, maybe I can do a little bit of memory trailing work with him, um, you know, in that area that's not the backyard, that he has more distractions. And then, you know, in Jeremy's video that he talks about, you know, when you start adding distractions and like how dogs, different dogs will react and, and stuff like that. And so I did that and we did some memory trails out to probably like 70 plus yards through like through brush and he was just killing it. And it makes it that much more fun to have him out in the woods whenever I can do things like that with him. It's just awesome to see him work and, and he loves it. But, you know, one thing Jeremy and I really kind of talk about during this session is regardless of how Rocky does or how your dog does at shed hunting or whatever the case is, you know, what I found and what he has kind of found is that taking my dog with me to, to shed hunt or to scout actually keeps me out in the woods longer. I know he likes it, so I typically put on more miles because I have a buddy with me and, and, the, and the dog is enjoying it. And because he likes it, some days when I'm like, eh, maybe I don't go out and scout today, you know, or maybe I only have like three hours I can get out. And if it's just me by myself, I may not hit that three hours. But if it's me with the dog for three hours, I'll go do it. And so it just creates this opportunity for me to spend even more time in the woods. I explore places that I maybe wouldn't have explored before because I'm spending more time in the woods. And at the end of the day, I'm finding more setups. I'm finding more sign and I'm coming across more areas that I can put in my pocket for hunting season that will be places I can potentially hunt. And so this session with Jeremy is not just about, you know, how to train your dog to shed hunt necessarily. It's about how taking your dog in the timber and making them part of your overall off-season plans and post-season scouting can actually help you become a better deer hunter. So hope you guys dig the show. Uh, before that, head over to Skull Brew Coffee, TFTS21. Get yourself some killer coffee. Uh, use that promo code. And then same promo code, TFTS21. You can head to um, the truthfromthestand.com website and get yourself some killer merch launched a new piece of merch which is the road dog uh, daywalker and road dog nocturnal it's basically to commemorate uh chad and i's kansas hunt super cool t-shirts you'll want to check that out so with that we're going to go ahead and jump into the conversation with jeremy and as always i want to thank you all for listening all right folks welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast and today i'm on with none other than Mr. Dogbone himself, Jeremy. What's going on, brother? How are you? Hey, uh, great to be here. I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. Uh, I appreciate you making some time. I know your schedule's crazy busy. You got a couple. Uh, you got a couple new pups rolling around the house, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we've actually got. Um, we we have a litter of nine day old uh, pups, and then and um, it's a small litter, so it's a little easier on me. But and then I've got a 13 week old. Um, those are Labradors and I've got a 13 week old setter puppy here. So keeping me busy. Yeah. It's like you have like a, a bunch of infants at the house essentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Re- yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, we had the, our, our litter was, um, scheduled C-section. So smaller litter. And so we, just for precaution, we did a scheduled C-section. So I got pretty good at, yeah, mom didn't really warm up to pups right away. It took a few days. And so I got pretty good at and wiping butts and cleaning up <laughs> uh, walping pens. I slept in a walping pen for two days straight. So, nice. uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it is a lot like that. Yeah. I think people that have never had a litter of pups or took care of a mom with pups don't really recognize how much work or how delicate those first couple of days can be. You know, it's, it really is. you yeah. know, I had the opportunity, um, at one point in my life, I worked, uh, 
for a dog breeder of, uh, it was Rottweilers, Dobermans, and Fila Brazileros. They had some champion bloodlines, and they did training there as well and stuff like that. And I worked there for a little while. So I got to uh, I got to kind of understand the madness <laughs> that you go through during that period of time. Um, they take a lot of nurturing, uh, especially if you want to do it right and um, have the dogs kind of well uh, socialized from, from the start, you know, which is probably right, critical right. when you're talking about training. Yeah. And it's not, it's definitely not our specialty. Like I, I am learning with it, um, over the years, I, I've worked with some great kennels over the years and, um, tried not necessarily to get as involved with that part of it, but you do it long enough and you start to realize I, I, for me, it was anyway. Um, I, I really knew, I really developed a style of dog that worked best for me. Right. So over the years, enough relationships, enough contacts, um, in, in enough knowledge, I think of understanding pedigrees of specific dogs. And so we, we have shifted in recent years, uh, very, we have a litter, uh, maybe a, every year, or every other year, very small, but it's for our, for ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm basically selfishly breeding, I would say to, to fit, to try to find the best dog for, to fit our training style, lifestyle and hunting styles. And um, I think that's what most breeders do is they try to build their own, their, their best dog. And so I, I, people ask me all the time, what's the best dog? Well, it has to line up with your preferences. So we're trying to do that the best we can. Right. How did you, uh, you know, I, I guess let's just start at the beginning, you know, where you're from and you know, what you do for a living or maybe even how specifically you got into the, the, the dog side of things and training and all the stuff that you do. Yeah. So I'm from, I live in Wisconsin. Um, we're near green Bay a little town called Pulaski. And we actually live outside of the little town of Pulaski. So, um, but that I'm from, I'm actually from Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which is Northern Wisconsin, North central Wisconsin. Um, but I, I grew up, I moved down here in, in elementary school and, and lived around the green Bay area. Um, and then I went to school on the West side of the state. So I went to UW stout, which is just a, a state school over there. Um, construction major. That's what was, was my family was really into construction. I was into construction. So went for construction management and the dog part of it for me really like we grew up, I grew up with golden retrievers, um, as far as like hunting dogs went, but we didn't have them when I was really young. We didn't get them till I was middle school and into high school more. So I would say, um, it was, our family was really into them, but we weren't, we weren't really that we didn't have dogs much prior to that. We had one. Um, it was when I lived up in Rhinelander, we had a Dalmatian and the 101 Dalmatians came out. Well, right. we had, yeah. So, I mean, I, I was in like second and third grade. And so I do remember it, but um, it's probably a big part of like, it's part of why we do what we do with people and their dogs. And, and the way I, the way, the reason for that is like our dog wasn't trained at all. It was, <laughs> We had a little dog named we named her na named her Dalmatian or we named her Domino the Dalmatian so we called her Domino and um she was a hellion I mean she was just wild and she was untrained and we got we took her camping once and they just told us we had to I mean they were gonna kick us out like you just dog was <laughs> really really not a good dog it, it wasn't the dog it was we weren't very good handlers right so so we you know that's my first dog well my i loved her my family my sisters loved her and one morning you know, my parents talked to us about it and you know it was just a challenge well one morning someone came and picked the dog up and and they took it and i watched the dog house ride down the driveway in the back of a hatchback and i'm like what is going on here i mean i was so upset i was so angry at my mom and dad it was the best thing for the dog you know the dog we rehomed her basically and so 
I think of that now and I go, people, I have had people ask me like, why do you do what you do? I, we, we try to give a lot of training information to, to anyone who wants to listen to it. Like we sell training products. We've got a, a, a small business that sells training products that have developed um, and work really well for me. And, and some is very specific to deer stuff like shed training and game recovery tracking stuff. We've got a, a, a line of products for both. But we also, I'm a, I'm a gun dog guy and I do a lot of upland hunting as well. And so um, that was really what got me started into dogs was gun dogs. And I, so we've developed since products that are associated with a pretty wide variety of dog training stuff. But the most of my effort probably goes into training and, and trying to help others that want to train their own dog. Like I, we do, I train dogs for people. I do a limited number each year. Um, we're out really long ways with the deposits. I mean, we're three to four years probably before we get to the next, you know, if you, if you went on a list right now. So that's not a big part of our business. The breeding is not, it's not part, I don't consider it, it's a write-off. Like we lose money on it basically. Right, right, yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, but that that's just what comes with it. But I, the, so the dogs are, are part of it. The training is part of it. The products are part of it, but they're also interlinked and there's this, this connection between them. And we, I really believe that if we sell products, which I believe in, you have to know how to use them because the tools aren't, the tools don't do the work themselves. The tools help greatly, but you have to understand how to, it's like a carpenter. You can give a guy a bunch of tools. He doesn't mean he becomes a carpenter. He's got to understand how to use them. So we, we put a lot of effort into sharing creating content and information and sharing it through various ways, which today is really easy to do. And it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's one of the beautiful parts of what we've got today going. So um, we do that and, and people ask, you know, why do you do all that? Why do you give all that information away? Why do you share? And I, I quite honestly, because of Domino, like I don't want <laughs> yeah. some, I don't want some kid to have to see Domino go down the driveway. Like that was, yeah. that was tough. That was, it was not easy to go through. So um, so that kind of, you know, that's part of, part of what has brought us to what we're doing now. And, um, I love dogs. I really do, but I love people and I love the connection of the dogs and the people and what that gives me, um, by helping that, helping others. Like we do training workshops here and I, we impact, you know, a couple dozen dogs a year that come to the workshop. But I always tell people that these are these are handlers workshops. We're going to train trainers, not dogs. Dogs will benefit from it. But the relationships that we get out of these workshops, they're really intimate. They're they're small scale wise. Um, but we get into such depth with people. And that to me is what um, I think is important. I think it's missing in a lot of yeah. dog training. I think I think we look at it as more mechanical. And I do think there's mechanics, but I think that it's also very important to take into consideration things like connection and feel and trust. And that's the stuff that's kind of, you know, I'm not kumbaya. Like we can't just like our dog a lot and it turns into a good dog. You have to have structure for it. Yeah. And yeah. I think, but I just think it's a combination. I think it's a fine line. I don't think it's an extreme one way or the other. I think we're always searching to get in the middle yeah. and, and yeah. that's what I call balance. And I, I think the beauty of dogs is when you think about it that way, you can take those, things and you can apply it to work and family and faith and you can apply it to all sorts of stuff and it yeah. and i really think it's valuable to have that yeah no that's awesome man i mean it's it just 
hearing you kind of tell that story, especially about Domino, <clears throat> you know, um, yeah, I've had, I had a uh, golden retrievers all uh, growing up too, and they weren't, they weren't trained at all. <laughs> they were sweet yeah. dogs, but they, they were a mess. Um, yeah. it, we, and I had Rottweilers before and I had, I had Mastiffs and then I, my daughter wanted a lab cause of my, my parents and, uh, my wife's parents had labs and my daughter loved them. And we, I wanted a good family dog and I like, I'm outdoors all the time, you know? And so I was like, it'd be great to have a dog that I could spend out, you know, some time outside with that's geared to do it, wants to do it, isn't going to tire. And so we ended up rescuing a black lab. He ended up being a hundred percent black lab. Um, but it, when you're talking about the relationship aspect of it, it made me think about my relationship. With, his name's Rocky and we got him as like a year old. Um, and he wasn't, treated the best physically he was fine but like he wasn't in a great home we'll we'll say you know so when i got him you know and he's his personality his drive his demeanor is completely different than any other dog i i had as a, as an adult and so it was a struggle for like the first year year and a half you know cuz i didn't understand him he didn't understand me even though it's like i had worked with and i'm not a trainer so i don't ever want to give the impression that i am but i know enough to be dangerous i've always been able to get my dogs to work for me i could get them to work off leash for me and and, and those types of things and yeah. i was just struggling with this dog and i was like i cannot get him and then i realized i was like i'm not paying attention to what he needs like what he needs from me not what i want from him and sure. as soon as that happened and i and i recognized it's like man he's got really bad anxiety he doesn't want to be crated let me take him not try to crate him if that's not what he wants let me see if i can just let him roam and if that makes him more comfortable and gets yeah. him to be more trusting and and as soon as we made that one small change of like hey we're going to let you just be part of the home and not crate you at night and stuff like that it was like he turned into a different dog right. and then from there yeah everything everything fell in place then it was like <clears throat> i'm willing to work off leash now I take him into the timber and he just, he's off leash the whole time. And he never, I mean, he'll leave my side and roam, but he always is looking back to see where I'm at. He doesn't ever want to get too far away. Always kind of keeping eyes on me. And, sure. and it just kind of enhanced our relationship. Cause now he gets to do all the stuff that I've always wanted to do with a dog, you know? And that was super cool. So well, I'm sorry, man, we'll pick it up right where we were at, which, you know, I was just kind of explaining the, uh, the new relationship with Rocky after kind of understanding him. And I think you were saying yeah. like, now he's getting the life that he kind of wants. Yeah, totally. You're both going to enjoy each other more. And I, I think what's interesting is how you got to that point. And, and I, I really think that it's sometimes like as trainers, we have to kind of change every once in a while. We have to stop, especially it's when things aren't going right. You know, when things are going good, you just keep going. It's momentum. You just ride it and you build off of it. I always say it's incremental training. You're building off the last lesson. You're building off the last lesson, but then you, we always run into things and and so a lot of times for me like i've done it a long time i've been training for you know seriously i've been training dogs for myself um since say 99 i would say that's when i got my first labrador it was when i first got my my own dog it was you know i, I had trained the majority of the training for our family's dogs but like yeah it was they were good dogs but they were like they were good family dogs they hunted but it was very natural to them right right so right. so it's I've been doing it long enough now where, and I've seen enough dogs. And I think that's part of it is you, you expect, you have the chance to experiment with things and see what works best with certain dogs. And this didn't work there. And you got to figure out ways to get around that. And so I, I feel comfortable now, very comfortable with, with, if something comes up, I think I, I got another move, you know, I got another, I got another technique, I got another thing I can try. And so that, 
helps us get around it. But like, I still get jammed up. Like I, I've done it long enough where I run into certain dogs and I go, huh, that didn't work. I'll try this. Huh, that didn't work. I'll try this. I did. And over and over and I'm running out of ideas. And so some of the stuff that, that I have found is when I do that, I feel like I end up pressing. I really end up pushing to try to fix whatever it is I need to fix because that's hanging me up and I know I got to fix it and you can't ignore it. And I think that's right to a degree, but then a lot of times the best thing I can do is stop and take a break and move away from it and kind of rethink it, but not necessarily stop training, just go work on something else. Maybe go and work on something else that might be somehow connected to a weak link that's maybe creating this issue for the bigger problem. But this, I was driving on the radio one day. I was driving on the road one day and listening to the radio. And I listen to a lot of, I'm in my truck a lot. So I listen to a lot of stuff. And I remember going down the road and I, there's multiple times where I, I just light bulbs come on. I go, I'm going to try this with this dog. I'm going to try that with this dog. And all of a sudden it works. It's a different, totally different angle. And it's, where does it come from? I don't know. But I, I think of it and boom, it starts to work. Well, the, the thing that reminded me of it was I was driving on the road, listening to the radio and I, I, I like certain bands and um, I'm listening to this, this band that I really like. And I, it sounded so different to me. It was like, I heard the music differently. Like I heard the instruments differently and I heard, and, I, and it was like, wow, like I, I really like that music and I've listened to it hundreds and hundreds of times. And I, I know the song and I know the way it's supposed to sound, but this sounded different. And I was like, this is really an interesting thing that I'm, I'm hearing. Well, here I come to find out when my kids are playing with the truck and they screwed up my, my audio thing and they changed the bass <laughs> and the treble and they, they had like the audio stuff all jumbled up. Right. So I was hearing, like I would normally listen to it and the music was in the back, like the instruments were in the back and I listened to the mute, the words and I would listen to like all the instruments together. And that was music to me. And the music was overlaid by words. Well, this this time, the words, I didn't even hear the words because this these instruments sounded so, like bass guitar sounded so different. And like all these parts of the band were kind of mixed up, but I heard it for the first time. And so I've so I adjusted my music and I went back to listening to it the way I normally would. But I realized I appreciated that music a lot more going forward because I started to hear those instruments, even when it was the way it was. So my point with it is like, I think sometimes we just train the dog because that's how we train the dog. And what we need to do sometimes is hear the music or hear the instruments instead of the words or hear the, hear the different instruments instead of the music. And when you, but that's all mental, like that's all looking at it differently. And when you can do that and recognize that, you start to get deeper into it and you go, well, there's the fix where, how come I didn't see that? You know, how come I didn't notice that? So I've, I've used the idea of, you know, for you, you recognize there was just some things that, but you didn't have the control of it. Cause you said you rescued the dog, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. not like it's stuff that you put into the dog early on. Like I, I'm a big believer in the idea of I've got a 13 week old puppy right now that we're training that the majority of the stuff I've done with her is make sure she doesn't form bad habits. Like don't let her have problems. Yeah. And so my life will be so much easier later because I just didn't allow certain things to happen. And that's training. It's not necessarily the most proactive, like aggressive training, but I, I will be the first person to tell you that I'm pretty boring. 
when it comes to training dogs. I don't, I don't like to get stuff done quickly. I think it takes, it takes time for them to mature. It takes time for them physically and mentally. It takes a lot of repetition to become a real habit. Like I don't want tricks. I want behavior. And so I think a lot of times we see accelerated training out there because it looks so good and it does, it really looks good to get puppies to do stuff. But I caution people to not necessarily be always trying to be the first one to the end of the end of the race, because the race doesn't end <laughs> like you. It's a marathon, not a sprint when it comes to raising a dog. It's just like a kid. Like I don't want to hurry up and get my kid ready for college. Uh, first off, you're going to run into a lot of issues. But the other thing is, is I've got a sophomore in college right now. He's 20 years old. He's my, my son. And I'd give you anything to go back. Yeah. To yeah. those days where I was the Uber driver driving him to basketball practice and this and that. And like I, I was in such a hurry for him to get his license because I thought, man, this is gonna be great when he gets his license because then I don't have to be a taxi. I'll I would go back to the taxi any day because when you it's the unintended consequence of all of a sudden, yeah, he's 16, he's got his license, and I don't see him anymore. Right. And now he's off to college. And I go, Man, I'd give anything to go back to those old days. Yeah. So I look at that with these puppies and I go instead of being in such a hurry for us to get to the end, which I don't think there is, I would rather have people understand, man, there's so many good things in between here and there that you should just embrace and enjoy as it comes. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree, man. And that's, uh, that's one of those things where you're right. Like I, I did rescue him and you know, he came with, he came with some baggage and that was the first time I never had a dog that I didn't have from an eight week old pup. And I kind of sure. same thing that you're saying, kind of, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing, but I knew things I didn't want him to do. You know what I mean? I didn't want my dog to do. So I'd make sure that those things were, were in place. And I love the idea of like training for behavior, not tricks and looking at the long-term view, because let's face it, man, when you get an eight week old pup or however old, whenever you get your dog, that's a, you know, especially with like a lab, for example, what I have now, like I know got it when it was a year old. So I know like at minimum, it's probably like a 10 to 14 year commitment roughly, you know what I mean? It's like, that that's the time frame we're going to have together. And so there's no reason to, there's no reason to rush it, you know? Um, right. And so now that I have him kind of in a good place, you know, I started playing around with him with sheds, you know, cause he's been really good like the past two years. Um, and so I started kind of slowly introducing that to him in the backyard and stuff like that. And I've always wanted to ask you this and I've talked to Tony Peterson about this. And every time I talk to him about it, he's like, Oh, you just need to talk to Jeremy about it. He knows way more about this than I do. <laughs> um, you know, pressure. <laughs> no pressure, right? Um, I'm just curious to start, like when someone's wanting to kind of, they've got a pup, you know, or they got a dog, whatever, however old it is, and they want to start kind of consider introducing sheds or they would like to take their dog out shed hunting. Like in your opinion or in your mind, what makes a good shed dog? Like how do you kind of get to that point? Is there, is there characteristics or traits or is it more just in the, as you were saying before, like instilling those behaviors? Yeah, well, I think it's a combination. I I, I think... I'm not a believer that it's by any means breed specific. I, I think you can use, and, I, and the best example of that is like, you know, I'm near Green Bay. So you walk around Lambeau Field on a Sunday afternoon when there's a home Packer game and I've seen beagles, I've seen shepherds, I've seen Labradors, I've seen golden retrievers. I've seen lots of different breeds of dogs walking around that parking lot, sniffing for stuff. Right. So they're, they're look, they're, they're trained dogs a lot of them are, are explosive dogs that's what mm -hmm. they're looking for and so but i'm i i look at that and i go well there's a lot of different 
breeds out there that you could successfully train. I think that the common denominator with, with them is they, most of them have some pretty inherent traits that are going to make life a little easier for that handler. You know, that bit ability or willingness to, to please you wanting to work with you. Like that's an important, that's an important thing. I think most dogs have that. Like I, I, I do think some breeds have it more, it, it's more intense. Maybe like, I think the same is true with the nose, like the, the, the you name a breed of dog, they all have very good noses. Some are better in that now. And I'm not a veterinarian or anything. So like, I don't talk the science necessarily of it, the biology part of it, but there's more olfactory sensors in certain dogs than others. Like that's, that's proven. It's yeah. some have better than others. But and some are built differently. Um, you know, dogs that have long floppy ears, when they're when they're tracking like a, a, a bloodhound, let's say, or basset hound, the hound group, you look at the way they're built. Well, those ears create disturbance of air and create lift scent molecules. Like it helps them smell. Wow, so I never noses, thought of that. When their noses are down on the ground, like they smell better. So it's partially because they're their internal parts are built to process the scent better, but it's also because their external things help them. You know, a tall kid plays basketball, a lot, goes a lot further in basketball <laughs> than a little, you know? Right. So like you, you think of that. So, you know, what, what makes a good, a good shed dog is I do think there's certain things. Natural game finding is really important. Like you can't train natural game finding. You can't teach dogs to have that. But a lot of dogs do. And when I say natural game finding, like the, the want and the desire to go hunt for something, the, the ability to use their nose really effectively, um, the intelligence to connect the idea of what it is they're looking for with what you've kind of instructed them to do. Those dogs that are walking around Lambeau Field smelling for bombs, the beagle, the beagle wasn't bred to be a drug dog, but the beagle was bred for, tra for tracking. I mean, uh, the, I've got a lot of cottontails. I mean, I've hundreds this year. The year is really high up by my house here. So I've got buddies that have beagles. They're going to bring their beagles here. I love hunting behind beagles. So they're going to bring their beagles and we're going to chase rabbits. And I'm going to bring my Labradors with, and my Labradors are going to heal alongside of me. And when we shoot the rabbits, we send the dogs to pick them because their beagles don't care about them once they're shot. So I'm using two dogs with really good noses. I'm using one dog that has a very natural retrieve and I'm only using one dog that has a very natural track. Now, will my dog track rabbits and chase them? Yeah, they would if I let them, but I turn them off of that because I hunt upland with them. So I don't want them running snowshoe hare when I'm grouse hunting. So I have, because of my influence on the dog and because of my buddy's influences on their dogs, we have, they don't want their dogs chasing deer. So they've turned their dogs off of certain things and they've turned them on to things that are cer certain things that are natural too. So we're looking at this scenario and we're going, What's the best dog for that? Well, the reason the Labrador I like so much is because they're really good at lots of stuff. That's not, I, that's not the reason I say get a lab if you want a shed dog. I say it because me personally, I say it because I like their look. I like what they, I like what they, their size. I like their personalities and disposition. I like what they, the versatility from, I can hunt anything and everything. And that's pretty much what I do. So I can do just about everything with them. I think they're super intelligent. I know they've got great noses. Their retrieve drive is very natural. So I don't have to, this one last thing I have to train. When you look at all those boxes that I check, cause I go, yep, they got it. Yep. They got it. Yep. They got it. Well, that's, that makes life a lot easier when I go to train a shed dog. If you asked me to train 
um, you know, my little setter. I got the setter because I, I, I've got a place in northern Wisconsin. We do a lot of grouse hunting. And I'm, I'm really enjoying that more and more as I get older. So I've, I've decided, you know, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. I put a lot of research into it, got this puppy, it finally. And I'm not going to use her to shed hunt, but could she shed hunt? She's got a fantastic nose. She's got tremendous range. Uh, I hope she's got some bit ability and willingness to work with me. Like I think she'll handle for me is, is what they call it. The difference between this, the pointy dogs and the, and the retriever guys, my handling is like, my idea of handling with a retriever is like, a little bit robotic. And I don't like that. I like dogs to work very naturally. So that, you know, when we start talking about handling them and handling, they describe handling the term as the connection that I call with my retriever. Well, that's fine. It's just a different term, difference of terminology, but I like this little setter has got way bigger range. She's going to go way further out than any of my retrievers do my retrievers. I don't want them working beyond 25, 35 yards. And they're my shed dogs. And people ask, well, you I don't want a dog working close like that. I want one that works out in ranges. Hell, I like to see the dog. Like I don't go, I go hunting because I want to watch the dog. Yeah. Like that's the most, that's the most fun part of this for me. So I don't want dogs working at great distances. I don't want those retrievers that I'm going to hunt grouse and woodcock with to be outside of the gun range because I don't think it's fair to them to have to have two sets of rules. I, I don't think it's as easy for me to say, Hey, we're grouse hunting today don't go beyond this distance or, Hey, we're shed hunting today, run all you want. Like I look at it as a consistency thing. I think you got to make it fair for the dog. So I develop a range and then my dogs work within that range. But I challenge anyone that says shed dogs need to get out further than what mine do. I challenge you to next time you're shed hunting, stop in a random spot. And as long as it's not a field, like if it's a field, Stevie wonder can find the shed. You don't need a dog. Like, <laughs> right. you know, the, the, a, a, a hay field is pretty easy to cover unless it's a really little shed. But so when you're in the woods, which I find most of my, most of my sheds are within 40 acres of a good food source. Like that's, that's in, in unpressured areas. So when you get into those areas, the, I, I'm looking for the thickest, nastiest stuff that the deer bed in. That's, that's where they spend a large percentage of their time. And a good shed hunter will, will recognize like it's an, it's a numbers game during that window of time when they're going to shed their antlers, where are they spending the majority of their time? That's the highest percentage chance of getting one. So if not where they're spending that time, which is probably bedding because the majority of the day they're in their beds, then what are they doing? Feeding. So when are they feeding, go to their food source. It's probably not that far away because late season is conservation of energy. Like the ones that survive are the ones who move the least, who have to move the least, who have the food. So what do I do? I spend most of my time in starting out where they spend most of their time bedding. Where's the second spot feed and in between like, and so when you look at the, the, the maps, you really don't have to probably hunt, but a very small percentage, but you got to spend a lot of time in those areas. So I look at that and I go, for me, my, when I'm in those spots that are high likely areas to find an antler, if I stand still and spin around 360 degrees, I can't see 30 yards. If there was an antler between me and the 30 yard mark all the way around me, I couldn't see it. Right. Like it's thick. I got like, literally you almost have to trip on them at times. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. 
Altacovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So yeah, I mean that's that make that makes sense to me. Like as far as, you know, not necessarily needing to range out. Just if you think about it logically, the way you kind of explained it as far as like the areas you're looking for sheds are going to be thicker than usual. You can't really see that far anyway. So what's the point of having the dog be seventy five yards out, you know? Right. So I guess that leads me to like my next kind of question, right? So if someone has a puppy and it's say it's eight weeks, thirteen weeks, however old it is, you know, or just a dog in general. Like, what does the process look like for actually training them for sheds and how long? And I know it's it's a marathon. We talked about that already, right? It's like, and I, I'd imagine every dog kind of learns and figures stuff out it's, at its own pace to a degree. But, sure. you know, what does that process for training a dog to find sheds look like? And, and, and what are the kind of fundamental stages where you'll see like growth and how long until you could expect that dog to actually be what I would say is like a decent shed dog, however we want to qual- qualify yeah. that. Well, I think it's, you know, I, I think, and I don't want to disappoint you because like, and I don't want to disappoint your listeners. I, I don't think it's a, you know, a step one, step two, step three type process. I think it's, I think that any training of any dog requires, it's like building a building. If you don't have a good foundation, your building falls over. Like you can have the prettiest house in the neighborhood, but if you build it on sand, it's going to, it's not going to last. And so everything like that. I think there's a lot of things in life like that. Um, so what I look at is from a, like, if you go get a puppy, a lot of people are going to get puppies this spring. The idea of training a shed dog. I look at it and I go, the puppy for me, the puppies are puppies till they're about two years old. So like I, I really spend a huge, huge percentage of my effort and time building a foundation under them. And so do I think it hurts to go? The nice part about shed training is you're really not going to risk. You don't have a lot of the risk that you have. Like if you were to put a gun dog in a position to be on a hunt too soon, you, you can run into some issues. If you take an upland dog too soon, I, I think there, I think that that is one of my biggest concerns is don't create an issue early on that is going to create major issues for me for the duration of the dog's life. So from like a hunting perspective, I don't usually hunt my dogs the first season or two like that. I have them because they're not ready. They're just not prepared for it. And so I look at it and I go, I weigh it out and I say, I might give up a season, maybe two seasons. That would be a lot. Cause if you give up two seasons, that's two years plus whatever the dog was before you got, before the season came in. So mm-hmm. like it, it's, that's, that's a long time. I feel like I would give that up because you just said before your dog's going to be 10 to 14 years old at a minimum. If it's, if, if you've got a dog with good, good genetics from a health perspective, you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And so if everything works out. And so I look at it and I go, I would rather give up two seasons of hunting that 
potentially, and this is, this is that, you know, hindsight 2020 thing. You know, I don't know that this is going to happen for people, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I'm an odds guy. I like the odds in my favor. And so if I decide I need to rush it, I, I might get another season or two out of them. But if something happens in those early years that creates something that I can't get out of them because gun shyness, like you, you, you put a dog into a position, you put a dog into too much excitement. You put a dog into things that create undesirable behaviors because of the uncontrolled element. The thing about the hunt is it's uncontrolled. Mm-hmm. So if you do that, you might pay for it for the next 10 plus seasons and you might never, you may never completely get rid of it. And I look at that and I go, I would rather have eight to 10 years of great hunting versus 10 to 12 years of pretty good hunting or okay hunting with thorns in my side. Because right. the I've, I've realized the issues come up always at the wrong time. Like the, the, you know, the, the, if you, if you have a hole in your training, it, it will inevitably come at the wrong moment. You know, that the, it, it just always does. It's, it's Murphy's law. It's, it always happens. And well, so a lot of times the wrong moment's probably the most stressful moment, right? When the most un uh, the most unkind of, no, I won't say imaginable because maybe it's not a catastrophe, but the, the thing that you've least kind of expected to happen is the thing that happens. Well, it's that, and it's, you know what, you know what, you know what gets in the way of dogs more often than not is handlers like trainers. Yeah. So, you know, we, we get, I can't tell you how many times this is why dog training is so good for people is because if you get to the point where you realize the majority of the mistakes the dogs make are not the dog's fault, almost all of them. I mean, I, I don't know that I could say every single one, but it's like really close to every single one. So, but you know what it takes to be able to say that you have to say and be okay with the fact that you screwed up. Yeah. You made them, and and it's really hard for people to do that. It's really challenging. We always want to have a reason why it happened, and it wasn't us because we don't. We're not the ones to do that, right? And I, I think that with these dogs, they very quickly, as soon as you let that go, like internally, as soon as that trainer lets that go and goes, dog screwed up. Damn it! What did I do? What did I do wrong? And now how do I fix that going forward? And how do I do it better next time? They become pretty good trainers. The the thing that happens though is, especially with people that don't train dogs a lot, is if you don't get to that point, if you don't get there mentally and probably emotionally is part of it, but if you don't get there, you're going to show your buddies. You're going to show your buddies how hard you've been working on your dog and we do this and we do that. I can't wait to show you. And so then you go to show them. I guarantee you, if you've got holes, that's when they're going to show up mm-hmm. because you tense up, you know, like I had a dog once that I had a dog that dropped, that dropped short. This is before I even knew what hole conditioning was. This is in, this was in 2000, early 2000s. It was probably like 2001. Maybe it was maybe 2000 actually. Now I, I guess it was early 2000s, but what, I'm not really good with years, but it was early 2000s. And I didn't even know what formal hole conditioning was. I didn't, I didn't know what force fetch was. I didn't know what hole conditioning was. And I had a dog that would, that would blink on dummies. Uh, he'd run out to him. He did. I mean, he was really good. He did everything great. He'd run out to dummies and one out of 50, he would just go to pick it up. He didn't pick it up and he'd move on from it. 
and it was frustrating to me and i man i get mad at him for that and you know i couldn't think, but it was like one out of 50 so it was like didn't happen that often so i i didn't realize it was even a problem mm-hmm. i quite honestly i just thought it's a fluke and so i i get into um a, a setting with a big group of trainers and as soon as i my, my first retrieve it's my you know we're doing group stuff and i'm going to send my dog on the first retrieve his his first retrieve of that session he was pretty young too and i lined him up and i sent him and i before i even sent him i was so tight and tense because i just thought do not blink on this dummy just don't <laughs> think of this stuff what does he do of course he blinks right and i and they, and they look at me and they're oh and i go he rarely does it and the guy this one guy was he was actually from england and he he's he's got his little english accent and i'm not a little guy he's a pretty little guy and so me next to him i look even bigger he looks even smaller <laughs> and he comes over to me and i'm thinking oh god and he as nice as he could be he says you know what's the matter i said i i don't know he takes me aside he could tell i wanted to crawl under a rock i mean i wanted to go away so bad from that moment he took me aside he said did you hold condition your dog yet i said how old is that dog i said seven months I said you hold condition him I said, I don't know what that is. Let me talk to you about it. So he takes me, he was super empathetic. He knew I was feeling terrible and it was a big lesson for me. Um, and so I, I, I walk away, I hold condition the dog over the next couple of months and we never have an issue and I never don't do it again. Well, I, I think that if you have a hole, it's going to show up. Uh-huh. and it's going to go it's going to happen on the hunt or it's going to happen it's just going to happen at the wrong time so i think being honest with ourselves is really important when it comes to our dogs recognizing they got they got chinks in their armor they got missing links in their chain and hell you can't go any further without it no matter how much you want to or how bad you want to or there's a date for this test or whatever yeah. it's not that's not the important part yeah yeah no i 100 percent agree with you man and that was it was no more apparent than it was for me with, with Rocky, just kind of recognizing I was, I was messing it up. And even still is like, I'm trying to teach him how to find sheds. And I wanted to get your advice. I thought this would just be kind of a fun way to kind of talk about it. Cause I started introducing him to sheds last year, you know, have a set, you know, real antlers that I use in the backyard. Um, you know, first I just kind of gave them to him, let him play with them. You know what I mean? And he, he enjoyed them. He would sit and chew on them or whatever. And, and then, uh, and then I started just playing. He's obviously he's a lab, so he'll retrieve anything I throw. Like he just, you know, and I'm sure, you know, I've never had this before. This was new for me. I had to get used to him always walking around the house with something in his mouth. Like he won't not go anywhere without like something yeah. in his mouth. And so I started with just like putting him on a stay, throwing it and then tell him to find a shed and he would go find it and he would see it and he would go get it and bring it back. And then I went from that to like, putting him on a stay like in the sunroom and I would go like hide the shed, you know, or stick it somewhere in the yard, you know, and then he would go out and scan around and he would see it and he would go grab it and bring it back. And then once he got okay at that, I would make it a little bit more challenging for him. And then I moved to putting two sheds in the yard at like different areas and he would find one, have to bring it back to me. And then once he brought it back, I'd tell him to go find the other shed and he would take off and, and try to find that. My thing is, is that I've not yet taken him like out of the yard, you know, beyond that to kind of, find sheds or do anything like that. So how do you take a dog from someone who like me is having fun and it's a game and we're playing in the backyard and he loves it. How do you evolve that to kind of go from like the controlled yard environment? What is the next step for that to evolve him to where I could eventually get him into the timber and have a reasonable expectation that he's going to have a good time. I'm going to have a good time and eventually he'll find a shed. 
Yeah. Well, I think, so I think your story is probably a lot of your listeners can, can say exactly same thing, same thing. And I think what I, cause I hear that all the time. I hear this is what I did. This is what I did. This is what I did. It's the same steps that you're doing, but then we go shed hunting and he runs over sheds frustrated. You know, a lot of people quit because of it because yeah, he just doesn't know how to do it. I look at it. I like, here's, here's a way to make it, make people think about it. I used to have a little Nerf basketball thing that hung on the back of my door when I was growing up. I was, I was the best Nerf basketball guy in my room. Like I made every shot. I got, <laughs> I, I got perfect at it. I got really good. Right. I was hurry of the Nerf basketball in my bedroom. <laughs> I knew all the angles. I knew everything. If you trained me that way, and then you took me to uh, the, the Bucks arena down in Milwaukee, and said, here, play basketball with these guys. You're really good in your room playing with the Nerf ball. Play basketball with these guys. Like, I don't think I would do very well in that. That's not, that's not properly setting me up to transition. So I think what ha- has to happen is, is we have to recognize uh, everything that we do that we run into our dogs, I break it. When we run into an issue, especially, it's usually because we took too big of a step too quickly. It's usually because there's missing parts. They don't have all the skills that are necessary. I had a message from a guy that told me a bunch of stuff that his dog was doing. And he was trying to do some finished end things with the dog. And I said, well, you sound like you're on a really good start, but you got holes. And, And you can't complete, you can't complete the journey without all the rungs to the ladder. So I think that what, what we need to do is we need to look at it and go, our end goal, your end goal is to shed hunt with your dog. So break that all down into like, what does the dog have to do? Well, the dog's got a quarter and cast. You don't train quarter and casting at the same time you train retrieving. You don't train retrieving at the same time you do using your nose and nose work. You don't train, like I need a dog to recall to me. So like, I, I think of this big picture of going shed hunting. If you've got a dog that just runs wild, but finds all the sheds in the world, some guys might like that. I can't have that because that dog will get shot by some neighbor because it runs on their property. That dog will get hit by a car because he runs away that I don't, I don't like it because I don't even see the dog. Like I I want a dog. So I know what I want. I want a dog to work within relative range, work with me, cast and quarter, use their nose, use their eyes. They see something that is worth, they smell something that's worth looking at. They'll go look at it. If it is a shed, they'll pick it up and bring it back to me and then they'll get rewarded for it. Like they make, it makes me very happy and I praise them for it. I don't want a dog to smell them out, find them, lay down and chew on them. I don't want a dog to smell them out, find them, pick them up and run off with them. I don't want a dog to smell them, look at them and run away from them. I, I, I want certain things. So I have to take that end beautiful painting that we just picked, this picture that we painted, quarter and cast at a desirable range, use your nose, smell something, go look at it. It is the, what you want. Pick it up, bring it back, hold on to it, bring it to dad and then hold it nicely. So I can take the pictures for Instagram. I mean, that's, that's really what we need. Right. <laughs> right. Right. But, right. But, but, and I don't, I, the last part is kind of a joke, but I don't want dogs dropping stuff because my shed dogs also bird hunt for me. So I don't want bird dogs to drop birds short because wounded cripples run away. Sheds aren't going to run away, but I need them delivering it all the way to hand. So these are all things that we want the dogs to understand. How do you get all that? You teach it all individually, and then you start linking it together. Your dog knows the game of hide and seek. Mm-hmm. Hide and seek is not shed hunting. Like right. I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd challenge anyone listening or, or you, yourself here thinking about it. Like when you set these all up, 
like it's a, you know no different with tracking like when we set up a track it is not a track like it's a mock truck trail that we get more out of than the dog i really mm-hmm. believe that we understand to read the dog's body language that's i lay the track i know where the trail is i'm going to watch the dog and i'm going to understand if they're on it or not and i'm going to start to pick up on cues that he gives me visually to understand what it looks like when we actually go tracking that's when i really the dog has to work and the dog has to understand and i have to work with it for a team when we shed hunt the game of fetch throw the antler go get it and bring it back does it it's it's fine but is that what I do to get myself? Do I pick up from there and go shed hunting? No, because I could have done that with a stick. Right. You could have done that with a tennis ball. You could have done that with a pop ball. The idea is inherent for the dog to run after something and pick it up and bring it back. But never have I seen a deer run through the woods and shed its antlers in front of me and my dog so that the dog had the visual thing and then ran out and picked it up. Doesn't work that way. So what do I have to do? I want them to quarter and cast and use their nose and pick stuff up off the ground pre-existing. So what do I have to do? I, I can't just go and quarter and cast if they don't understand the idea of picking up something off the ground. They think it's got to get thrown. So there's drills that we do. So the mechanical part of it, like I do a, a drill called a trailing memory. I use it with gun dogs as well, but for different reasons, similar and different reasons. I use the drill with a gun dog to, to build patience. I, I get dogs to extend longer, but with a shed dog, the value in that drill is you get the dog to pick the dummy up or the antler up off the ground after a set delay of time. So you actually walk the dog out in heel position, you drop the antler, you pause, you turn around, you walk back, you can go a thousand yards or you can go 15 yards, doesn't matter, but you you create space, you create distance, and then you create time lag. And so the short-term memory part, you get past with the dog. The, the dog's got this, this thing about them. Pr- pressure and praise has to happen quickly because they can only associate it with the action that led up to that moment for so long it's really short right so if you correct a dog i i hate to break it to some of these people but if you put the dogs if the dog pees in the house and 20 minutes later you see the pee and you go and you stick the dog's nose in it and rub the dog's nose in it all you're doing is punishing the dog for whatever he was doing the moment before you picked him up and rubbed his nose and piss like it had nothing to do with peeing because he didn't connect that action to it so the same goes with praise. If you if your dog does something right and you wait 10 seconds and then you tell them they're good, they think they're good for whatever it was they just did, mm-hmm. not for what they did 10 seconds ago. It's all timing is really important. So with this time in the in the trailing memory, you build it beyond the short-term memory, and now it goes into the long-term memory. It's nice for gun dogs to remember multiple birds. It's nice for the shed dog to understand that when they go out and pick up an antler, it doesn't get it's not thrown. I didn't throw it. They forgot the idea how it even got there. It's on the ground. You lined them out and you sent them. Well, you have to have a dog that lines pretty well to do that drill. You have to have a dog. Think about how we set the drill up. Mm-hmm. If your dog doesn't heal, you can't do that drill. Because if your dog doesn't heal in heel position, and I prefer it to be off lead, but you can set them up on lead. We've got a product that I think makes it easier to do that with a little quick snap lead to the collar and a whole different thing. But that's a tool that makes my life easier. But if you can't heal the dog out to set this drill up under control, you're, the idea of what you're trying to get out of it is lost. The drill is not a heel drill work. The, the drill is set up to get the dog to understand to pick stuff up off the ground with delay. And if you can't even get there, the dog won't understand that because he's just struggling with you on heel. So that like when you boil all that stuff down, 
the foundation has to be there. Heal, sit, stay, come when I call you. Like the dogs that pick stuff up and run away with it. What's a fix to that? Recall, right? <laughs> call the dog, call the dog back and they come to you. So if your dog understands here mm-hmm. or come or whatever your command is, when they have something in their mouth and you say, it's one of the reasons why my son's got this puppy of our, we, we whelped a litter last year and my son kept one. He's a puppy is a little less than a year old right now. And he recalls really well. My son's not a very good trainer. He's done a very nice job with this dog. I credit the genetics, but no, but he, uh, it, it is a very nice dog. And he's done a really nice job of not making mistakes. So he's got this dog that recalls very well. And he retrieves very naturally. He carries stuff very naturally. So my son was home over Christmas break from college. And we looked at some retrieving stuff with him. And he'd only done retrieving. He'd retrieved very little with this dog. And so I was curious to see how it was going to go and threw some dummies for him. and. Dog picked it up and on the way, picks it up very nice, carries it very nice. But on the way back, he got a little distracted. We were out in a pretty open area and he got a little distracted. And as soon as he got a little distracted, I said, chief here. And as soon as chief heard me say here, he turned and he just came right back in. And I, I went, the retrieve is natural to him. He loves to do that. But the recall is what helped me there the most because he's got very good recall. And so Again, foundation, foundation, foundation. And I, I'm boring that way. And I think people go, oh, God, more of this. Oh, God, if you don't have it, you don't have a chance to shed hunt. Like, yeah. You're crossing your fingers and hoping. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he, he does, uh, well, recall. I wouldn't go as far as to say that in terms of like, I think probably what you expect for the amount of work that you that you put into your dogs and stuff. But if he has something and I, and I you know, whistle, just give him a you know, or whatever it is, he comes right to me, you know, and he'll bring it, drop it up. If I tell him to drop it, he'll drop it at my feet, you know, just, yeah. but he'll hold it until I tell him, um, I can get him to heal off, off leash. So, you know, if I walk him around the neighborhood, I can take him off leash. And even if there's another dog or whatever, or a squirrel, if I just snap yeah. my fingers and tell him place, he'll just stay right by my heel or right by my knee. His head will be right by my knee. You know, typically sure. is where yeah. I kind of want him. So it's like, I feel like he's got all the right kind of pieces so far, you know, yeah. it's like, I just haven't yet taken him and introduced like what you were talking about with a gun dog where the unknown, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't had yet. And I'm just not quite sure, you know, how to kind of introduce him to that because I don't want him to fail. You know, I want to make sure he has a good experience and I want to at some point during it to be able to give him some, some praise. So he knows that he's doing, you know, what I'm expecting him to do. Yeah. And that comes, what I, my answer to that is it comes slowly and incrementally. So like you mastered the game of hide and seek or, you know, in the, in the yard, that's good. Now move that game somewhere else. Cause he's good at the game, move it somewhere else that may have a little bit more temptation and distraction. Like I, I don't want to set dogs up to fail ever. So I'm always on the cautious end of like, make it easy. So you might go from the front yard to the back yard. That's pretty simple. You go, a lot of people go from the front yard to 40 acres of wilderness. That's too much. And then the dog gets distracted. The dog doesn't listen. The dog doesn't have the foundation that your dog has. And all of a sudden the wheels come off and the person's pissed off and they're hollering at their dog and the dog doesn't want to do this anymore. And neither do they. So like it, it goes out of control pretty quickly. But if you go from this hide and seek game, now that's part of it. But I also think there's a lot of other parts. I, I don't know where you're at with quartering and casting. Cause when you go out to work your dog in the field, they got to work in range. Can you explain so, what quartering and casting is? Quartering and casting would be like a sweeping, like they'll sweep the field in front of you. Okay. So they're going to go from 
you know, they go from left to right, left to right in a, in a pattern out in front of you that's covering a lot of ground, working whatever scent cones they can to their advantage. So it's, 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 their, it's them getting out and ranging, but within range and controlled distances that you mm-hmm. want, desirable to you. So I want a dog to do that, but I train for it. They have, I think dogs do have, most dogs do have an inherent quarter to them that like i have one dog that has a pattern where she goes out out and around and comes back to me it's that's so crazy that you say that because that's i've noticed that with him and i wasn't sure what he was doing <laughs> this is yeah. like me again going back to what you were saying earlier like me not knowing like the dog full well knows what he's doing because I, I like we play the game i hide it from him or whatever we're playing that hide and seek game and he'll go out in the yard and he'll start kind of it's almost the same like he'll he'll kind of run the same route every time looking for yeah. it and and kind of seek and, and seeking. And I've always been like, why does he continue to run yeah. these routes back and forth and how he's kind of looping around the yard? Could be two things. He might have the game memorized. He might have your course memorized. Like, he, oh, so he's, yeah. So, so that's part of it. But then the other part of it is, yeah. So what I would do is I change locations and see, does his pattern remain? Cause then it tells you it is. I think that we can only impact and affect that so much. But what we have to do is understand and start to learn what dogs do individually and then use that to our advantage. I've got certain dogs that work certain covers better because of the way they, because of the way they cover the ground. Hmm. And that's a stylistic thing. Like that's the beauty of like, that's when now we're getting into stuff that gets me excited. That's when it gets back into like some breeding things. And so I, there are certain traits that dogs have that we try to leverage positively there are certain things that they don't do very well. We try to eliminate if possible or minimize the effects when it comes to the next generation of it. But now when you start building, like the, tuning that so finely that you're matching up the style of training to the style of dog and then the style of hunt. And it, when you get all those parts and pieces in place, it's really beautiful. But like, I think you, for you, it's, you know, you got your dog, like I, I said, trick before or behavior. And so your dog understands the trick. Mm-hmm. Just great. The problem with tricks are they're false senses of security to the handler. Cause you look at that and go, well, he found those sheds. He probably can go shed hunting. If you had a duck dog that you could have a buddy throw a dummy and blow a duck off, mac, 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 throw a dummy and the dog would go get it. And you'd maybe shoot a 22 blank. Like if you got a buddy that's got a dummy launcher and you can fire that and the dog runs and picks it up. Oh, must be ready to go bird hunting. <laughs> Well, there's so many other things that are going to happen that if you don't prepare for all those other things, you're going to have a hard time. Right. And so I think you look at, we look, we got to look at, I don't want to overcomplicate shed training because I don't think it should be. I don't think any dog training is complicated. I think it's extremely simplistic and common sense, but I also think construction is pretty simple to me too. And like, I look at construction, I go, well, that's, there's, there's total logical reasoning for strength and structures and all this stuff. But my wife has a hard time building a little step stool for our daughter to wash her hands. She couldn't figure out what she's not a carpenter and she didn't join the carpenters union and get her, her journeyman's card. Like I did, she didn't do all that stuff. The construction is simple, but anything we do is most things out there are relatively simple until you realize that you want to get into it. And then you start peeling layers back and you go, wow, the complexity of this is, I mean, ice fishing, 
you sit on the ice, you, you have a pole and you jig and there's fish down there and you catch them. Like, why did that's not hard, but I did it for a long time and didn't know what the hell I was doing. (laughs) And I had buddies that are very good at it. And I go, there's, it's not a coincidence because ice fishing has all these complicated depths of layer. And I shouldn't say they're complicated, but there's lots of layers to it. Mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to the shed training part, it's simple. It is, but does it take your willingness to continue to pour into it and peel back those layers and start to think about it and understand it a little more complexly? Yes, it does. If you want to take it to that level, but at the same time, for the guy who's listening to this and goes, or girl that's listening to this and goes, I don't know if that's me. Let me pose it this way. Cause I'll take the pressure off in the spring. What are you going to do with your dog? If you're going shed hunting and you take them with, will they find one? They might. If they don't, what's lost. You're taking your dogs for walks. You're spending better time with them. You're going to, I shed hunt more because I have shed dogs. How come? I love antlers. I I love them. I mean, I, you look around my house, I get a lot of them. I love them. They all have a story. I don't have an interest in going and shed hunting someone else's farm. I want to shed hunt mine first because I, I, I'm really passionate about the deer. That's another element of the deer hunting for me. But if it weren't for the dogs, I wouldn't go nearly as much as I do because I, the same could be said for me about ducks and upland and anything I do with the dogs. If it, I have no interest in going, if I'm not bringing those dogs with. So that to me is the beauty of shed training is, yeah, you can get into some very serious depths of it and you'll get better. Trust me, you will continue to get better if you do, but you also can be like that weekend warrior guy that says, you know what? That's why we, we sell a shed training system. It's a kit. It's got a training dummy, a bottle of scent and a booklet. We have a DVD that kind of goes with it, but they're not sold together. So the information and the products that I use to train my dogs, because they made my life easier training. Yeah, I, you don't have to have them. I think they make life easier and I think they, they help you. They're beneficial. Right. If you do that, the investment is not great. Like it's not a lot of money. You can get into it all for under 50 bucks. Right. So if you put in 50 bucks into something and my dog finds one more antler for me, I think it's justified. If you don't find an antler and you end up going with your dog shed hunting and you spend an extra 10 hours in the woods this spring, you're going to lose a few pounds. <laughs> you're going to, you're going <laughs> to scout, you're going to scout some new, you're going to probably find some better spots for your hunting in the fall. You're going to, you're going to get fresh air. You're going to get vitamin D. You're going to get some sun. You're going to get, you're going to feel better. Like yeah. I have yeah. a hard time waiting for that went through that winter to break oh man i'm i'm chomping at the, i'm chomping at the bit right now like to to get out and and since i got him and and he's been doing it's been like two years that he's been doing really really well i scout way more now that i have him to go along with me because i just got a buddy to tag along like i built this travel trailer we'll go a couple hours away to this one piece of big public i've been scouting out i take him with me he stays in the trailer with me we make like a couple like two three day weekend out of it where it's just me and the dog hanging out in the woods in the trailer and it's just like a dude's uh like a dude's weekend you know and and i just love doing that he loves it i love it we spend time together and if he eventually finds a shed then that's even that's even better but it's what you were saying it's just it and i love watching him work like even though I even though you know he's not been trained, like when he smells something in the woods, and I get to see him really kind of like almost that natural instinct kick in. It's sure. like I mean that's one of the coolest things to watch is just him start be curious where it's that 
um, ancestral drive of like, <laughs> of, of his past, you know, taking over. And that's just one of the coolest things for me to see. Everything's better with your dog. I mean, it, it, it just is. And so I, I feel like sometimes we have to remind people of that. We have to remind people that you don't have to, you can be as serious as you want. Like you can take it as far as you want, but I, you're going to find more with a dog and it's because there are another set of eyes and there are another set of nose. But if you, you're going to go more often, you're going to walk more miles. You're going to get into better places. You're going to go. Like I go places with the dog shed hunting that I never go any other time of the year. Mm -hmm. So like it's, it's just for, for deer hunting sake, we don't go to certain spots. It's exciting for me. I feel like I'm trespassing on our own land when I go into some of these spots because I'm like, man, I shouldn't be in here. What does it matter? It's yeah. March. Yeah. And then and they've shed and we're not pressuring them. The snow is melting. They're in good. I mean, it's a it's a lot of fun, man. It's 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 something that and it's it's something that you can do in addition to what you're doing with your dogs the rest of the year. Yeah, man. I know we're just about up on time. I want to be sensitive to uh, to your time because I know you got some stuff to get to this evening. But if you had to just leave people with like like three thoughts about them wanting to, you know, explore shed hunting with their dog or get their dog more involved. Like what would be those kind of three things? Like if you just think about these three things and have fun, what are those three things? Be patient. I think we're, I think we're, I, I think that's the number one thing with anything with dogs, be patient. Um, because when I say that, I mean, don't rush, don't force, don't push. Uh, it's no fun for you. It's no fun for the dog and it's really counterproductive. So I think that's like a dog thing that can be applied to everything. Um, I think the other part is have realistic expectations. I, I look at, I need my gun dogs need seasons before I call them gun dogs. My shed dogs need seasons. And the pr problem with the shed dog is the opportunities for them are a lot less than the gun dogs. So you, you have to remember that um, be, be realistic with that and, and be okay with it. So, and I think the other thing is, is, um, you know, put it in perspective. I had a gal that we'd had on, a, we did a, a podcast episode with actually for our own. And she had made these analogies with these kids and her kid broke a board in karate. And she was really excited about that. It was a little board and the kid broke it and she was very excited. She also had a dog that found four sheds out of 14 th that spring before. And she was a little disappointed because it had only picked up four, four and it ran over a few. And so she was, she was a little disappointed in her voice. And I knew that. And I said, you know, your kid just broke a little board and you were real excited about it. It, you could have been disappointed in that because it wasn't a very big board, but you're not going to be your little kid. Your little kid just broke a bit, broke a board. And I got it. My little one just came in. So yeah. joining the podcast, here's Lillian. That's right. Um, so what I think is by putting it into perspective and understanding Young dogs, when they do things, it's like little kids breaking boards in karate. Right. Like celebrate it, yeah. feel good about it. Let them know they did it well. So, yeah. uh, it's putting it in perspective. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Before I let you go, buddy, let me uh, let everyone out there know that's listening where they can get your products, where they can find out more about you, and where they can uh, check out your podcast and get a lot of really great information straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah, thank you. The the it's it's Dogbone Hunter. So like the the all the web dogbonehunter.com is the website. If you search at Dogbone Hunter, it's all of our social handles. Uh, the podcast is Dogbone Pod Podcast, P A W D C A S T. But you can just clever, little clever idea we had in the beginning, and probably not the best marketing thing. <laughs> but uh, 
So, but if you just search dog one on any of the apps, it, it probably is going to pop up for you. Awesome, man. Well, Hey, I appreciate your time. Good luck to you this shed season. Um, yeah. I might, te- I might text you with some progress with Rocky and let you know how he's doing. Please do keep me posted and let me know if I can help in any way. Okay. We'll do. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there too. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. The most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.